standing with me for our gospel reading from Matthew 3. At that time, Jesus came from the Galilee to the Jordan River so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? Jesus answered, allow me to be baptized now because this is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was opened up to him and he saw the spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I dearly love. In him I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now we'd like to invite our kindergarten through second graders. If you all would like to join Pastor Renee for children's worship. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm guessing that you all probably know what a selfie is. When you hold your phone out and take a picture of yourself, but do you know what you call a selfie that is taken of a group of people? Anybody know what it's called? An ussy. It's called an ussy. Michael Ann Strahilovitz is a professor of marketing at Golden Gate University and studies human behavior. And they say that ussies are a growing trend among us and that they really have a lot more social value than selfies. It's magical capturing the moments that we share with other people, Michael says, because selfies are often so focused on capturing just the right expression on your face or taking the photo at just the right angle with the light hitting you at just the right way. But ussies, on the other hand, are more about the relationship between the people and less about you and what your hair looks like on any given day. Well, the term ussy, which was a surprise to some of us in the early service, has actually been around for about 10 years, since 2013. The Times of India supposedly shared the first celebrity ussy taken by a group of students who were meeting with Pope Francis for the very first time on their visit to the Vatican. But you all might remember a more popular ussy from the following year in 2014, when Ellen DeGeneres ran out to a crowd for a photo while she was hosting the Oscars. Now, originally, Ellen was just going to run down and snap a quick photo with Meryl Streep 
And that's what they had practiced during the dress rehearsal. They had even marked Meryl Streep's seat so that she knew exactly where to go to snap the photo and to get back on stage. Except when she ran out into the audience during the live awards show, all these stars popped up and wanted to be in the photo with her, like Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt. Julia Roberts, Kevin Spacey, Jennifer Lawrence, and even Bradley Cooper, who grabbed the phone and said, I'll take it, and reached out his arm to take the photograph of all of them. And all of this was captured on live primetime television. It was so spontaneous, and it was so fun. We had never seen anything quite like that before, and it literally broke Twitter that night because over three million people retweeted that photo, so much so that it became the most shared tweet of all time for the next three years. Before long, the headline of a celebrity magazine read, selfies are over, ussies are the latest trend. Now, I'm all for taking a fun selfie every now and then. You know, they are fun if you're having a good hair day or if you're visiting somewhere special. But I tend to think that if there had been cell phones with cameras on them in Jesus' time, he would have been a bigger fan of the ussy. (laughs) Because I think what he is trying to teach us from the very beginning of his ministry is that the world he wants to bring about is far greater than any single one of us on our own. It's about all of us, beloved children of God, with no exceptions, and the type of world he wants us to bring about together here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus embodies this idea when he joins the crowd and comes to be baptized here at the beginning of his ministry. It's one of the few stories that we see in all four Gospels that Jesus comes to be baptized. And you might think, why in the world would Jesus want or need to be baptized And there are many theological papers on that. We could have long discussions about that after today. But what I want to talk about here in this moment is that Jesus is showing us that entering into the waters of baptism isn't a selfie kind of act. It's an ussy. It's about this community, and it's something that we can only experience when we discover what it means for us to live out our faith together. That's why you so often hear me talking about our call to be the family of God in this place, because I think that is where faith is best lived out. It's together. In her book, The Patron Saint of Liars, Anne Patchett shares the fictional story of a woman named Rose Clinton and her daughter Cecilia, who live at St. Elizabeth's Home for Unwed Mothers in Habit, Kentucky. Now, Rose works as the cook at St. Elizabeth's, and so her daughter Cecilia grows up there, being doted on by all of the other young pregnant women who come to stay at the home over the years. 
One day, when Cecilia is about 15 years old, she meets one of the new girls named Lorraine, who has come to stay at St. Elizabeth's. And Cecilia can tell that Lorraine is nervous as she's sitting in the lobby, anxiously waiting to meet with Mother Corinne, the nun who is in charge of St. Elizabeth's. And so Cecilia decides she knows the lay of the land around here well enough that she could offer Lorraine some advice that she can share with this young pregnant teenager about how to interact with Mother Corinne in that first visit, what to say to her to get on her good side. Because most of the other girls who come to St. Elizabeth's tend to make up some far-fetched story about where they've been. And so Cecilia says to her, hey, don't do that in your meeting. It always makes her upset. And so Lorraine responds to her and says, well, what should I tell her? How did you do it when you first came here to have your baby? And Cecilia is speechless. She says, I sat there absolutely frozen because it felt like I had been mistaken for someone else. Like I was some escaped mass murderer. I was going to be sick, she said. No one had ever, ever mistaken me for one of them. For one of those girls, not even as a joke. Suddenly the lobby felt small and airless. I thought I was going to pass out. You see, Cecilia was happy to interact with those women. They laughed together, they played together, shared stories together. But she always thought it was blatantly clear that there was a distinct difference between them. She grew up at St. Elizabeth's, but she didn't come here for that reason. And she was not, under any circumstances, one of them. Which is why I think what happens with Jesus in the Jordan is so extraordinary. Because it's the exact opposite. This place is overflowing with people in need of hope people searching for forgiveness, people desperate to have some type of change in their life. And unlike Cecilia, though he had every reason not to, Jesus chooses to be known as one of them. He takes his place in line and he decides to get baptized right along with everyone else there. He goes out of his way to make it clear that he is one of them. And in turn, that he is one of us. That there is no us and them. That there's only us. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. She says, if Jesus had only listened to his public relations people, he would have been a friend to sinners, a kind and loving helper, but never mistaken for one of them. His handlers would never, ever have allowed him to get baptized. He would have stood off the shore and offered words of encouragement to those going into the water, yes. He could have held out his hand to those who struggled to get out of the river with their heavy, wet clothes, certainly. But he would not, under any circumstances, have gone into the water himself, (laughs) Unless, perhaps, it was to tap John on the shoulder and say, hey, 
You take a break, I can take over for a while. But notice that this isn't Jesus' moment to take a selfie and say, hey, look at me, getting baptized today. Don't have to get my hair wet, hashtag blessed. (laughs) This is his moment to be part of an ussy. This is his moment to teach us from the very beginning of his ministry that we belong to one another, that we need each other, and that the world he wants to bring about is far greater than any single one of us could ever imagine on our own. Yes, we need to see and embrace the image of God in ourselves. That cannot be forgotten. I need to remember that I am a beloved child of God, just as God created me to be. And nothing I could ever do, nothing I could ever change, nothing I could ever say could take away that status from me. But equally as important is that I see and embrace the image of God in you. That we see and embrace the image of God in our neighbor, in the person sharing a pew with us this morning. That we see and embrace the image of God in the person who would never dare step foot in a place like this that we see and embrace the image of God in the person who drives us absolutely bonkers. That we see and embrace the image of God in the person who is, in fact, our enemy. In the person who believes differently than we do, who votes differently than we do, who lives in a drastically different way than we do, All of us, beloved children of God with no exceptions. Sometimes that's just hard to wrap our brain around, isn't it? As Ebony Johanna, who's the author of The Gospel According to a Black Woman, writes, if we can come to understand that God isn't just for us, but that God is also holding it down for billions of other people all across the globe, we might just start to do life a little differently. Because then we will begin to approach life not in terms of me, but in terms of we. And friends, that's why we gather together in this space every week. That's why we do what we do. That's why we believe in the work of God within the church. That's why we share hymnals and we sing music together and we share conversations and our intimate prayers. And ultimately, we hope to share our lives together with people whom we might never have met had our paths not crossed here at Grinstead and Cherokee. Because sometimes it's the faith that we see in one another that gives us the faith to believe too. Like Lauren voiced before the prayer of confession this morning, if you're not feeling it today, that's okay. Let someone else offer that prayer, sing that song on your behalf. It's something we do together. 
As Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it, there will be days for all of us when the Christ in our own heart is weaker than the Christ in the heart of a brother or sister. There will be days when our own hearts are uncertain, but the hearts of a sibling are more sure. The goal is that we meet one another, each of us as bringers and bearers of the news of salvation. But there is something unique about Christ that none of us can fully experience on our own. We have got to experience it together. I think I've shared this story before, but it feels worth repeating about when the writer Sarah Miles first discovered faith. She says she was raised as an atheist and lived as a restaurant cook and a writer. And then early one morning, she happened to wander into a church service. She writes, I was certainly not interested in becoming a Christian or, as I thought at the time, rather less politely, a religious nut. But on my walks in the morning, I passed by this beautiful old church building, and this time I went in on an impulse with nothing more than a reporter's habitual curiosity. And that day, Sarah was given a piece of bread and took a sip of wine, and she said, I was completely transformed. As a self-described lesbian left-wing journalist who covered stories all around the world, she said, I was not the kind of person my friends expected to hear talking about Jesus all of the sudden. But she writes, what I began to realize was this truly disturbing, dreadful realization about Christianity, which is that you can't be a Christian by yourself. She said, I was not going to get to sit down and think lofty thoughts by myself about how much Jesus loved me in particular. And I certainly didn't get to pick who else was good enough or holy enough or deserving enough to receive God's love. Because what I discovered that day when I received communion for the first time is that this wasn't a private meal. It couldn't be. The bread on that table had to be shared with everyone in order for me to really taste it at all. And friends, I believe that the same is true of what we experience together here at Highland as the family of God in this place. I believe that the same is true of the gospel that we preach and that we seek to live out together as doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if it's not good news for the poor or the marginalized or the addict or the LGBTQ community or the black community or the refugee community or the houseless community or the mentally ill or the disabled or you fill in the blank, then it's not good for any of us at all. I'm mindful this morning that We have a couple folks with us who we haven't seen in a long time. We've got Kim Fritchie back, and what joy to have you in the pews with us. And we also have Nathan Mars back with us. I know it's been a difficult few months for both of you. And I think about what we saw through the family of God in this place 
surrounding you, surrounding your families during really difficult experiences. And I think that's the answer whenever someone asks me, like, why church? Isn't the church dying? Isn't the church on its last leg? Why do you do what you do? I think the hope I have is because of what I've seen in you and what I've seen in the communities surrounding you that you have loved so generously and that generosity being poured back to you. And so I thought as we celebrate this good news of God's beloved community today that it would only be appropriate that we might end the sermon, if you would indulge me, by taking an ussy together. And I've actually, I've, I've got someone ready. I've got Molly Braun ready to take it for us. And so Molly's going to take our ussy, so get your best ussy face on. She's got it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Just kidding, see? Yeah. Because it's all of us, right? Yep. There you go. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Because, friends, I believe that God looks upon this group and says to all of us, each and every one of us, you all are my beloved children. Nathan and Jackie, you are my beloved. Kim, you are my beloved. Emily, Dan, Nelda, you are my beloved child. Betty Jean and Hazel, you are my beloved. James, Collier, Quinn, Graham, Micah, you are my beloved. And that we are not complete in this place without every single one of you. Thanks be to God. Amen.